Good morning again, and uh, good to see you. Hope you had a good Christmas, and um, welcome, welcome back to worship. We, uh, we're going to just sort of do something on its own this morning. You know, we looked at the kingdom from the Gospel of Matthew all fall, and then we took four weeks in Advent to look Old Testament passages, New Testament passages about God becoming a man, the incarnation, and... Um, this is just kind of a wild card, this one, going into the New Year. So I don't, wild card is probably not the best way to describe your sermon. But uh, we're, we're, uh, we're going to look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to look at this whole chapter. I know that's a pretty big chunk, but I want you to hear this whole thing. Um, a few weeks ago, I stumbled onto a podcast. not going to say which one, but the guy that, that hosts this podcast, is, he's just kind of one of these Uber people. I don't mean the company Uber, but just kind of omnicompetent. He's written several books. One of his books is Amazon's, I think it says uh, one of Amazon's most highlighted books, one of the ten most highlighted books. I guess they mean people reading on their Kindles highlighting sections. And he started companies and he's been an angel investor and he's got this wildly popular podcast and just kind of Midas touch, super accomplishing guy. Anyway, it was his end of the year podcast and he was going to look back at 25 interviews and sort of say, here's the cool thing I learned in every interview. Any interviews, very high-performing people, other omnicompetent people. So you really feel like a slug when you listen to him, essentially. But he, uh, he said that, he just kind of said this in passing as he was introducing the 25 things. He said that, you know, I, what I'm really trying to work on now in my life is not just uh, ingestion, but digestion. And that really jumped out at me because he is somebody that is just, he is at the cutting edge. He's talking to cutting edge people. He's reading cutting edge books. He's interacting with cutting edge technology. He's an investor in cutting edge companies. And so there's always new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. And he's right there at the edge. And he said, I, I'm realizing the value of needing to stop and to digest all this stuff that I'm taking in, not just eat, 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 eat. And, you know, we're not good at that. I'm going to say a little bit more about that as we go. But I want you to think about that going into this passage. Uh, This is from Deuteronomy. And and just for context, Deuteronomy is when God's people, they've been in the wilderness all those 40 years. You know, they came out of slavery in Egypt. They've lived in the wilderness. And they're about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And, And this is a big moment. And so there's kind of this big review, big recap. What did God do? And what does God expect of us? What do you need to know when you go in there? Because this is really going to be your future life. And I want you to hear the dominant theme of this chapter because sometimes chapters in the Bible are just sort of artificial. They're they're just kind of man-made divisions. But Old Testament scholars agree what we call Deuteronomy 8 is a section. It's not just something that we decided this is Deuteronomy 8, but it is a chunk that's supposed to be understood together. And again, I'll say a little bit more about that in a second. But I want you to listen for this. And I, because even for us, think about 2015. Spiritually speaking, was it what you wanted it to be going into it? And, and I just think across the board we would say no. And so, okay, so then wh- what is the plan for 2016 to be different than 2015? And the way Americans tend to think is... Well, it's going to be through me having these strategies in the future. Read more, pray more, have these disciplines, strategies for the future. And here's what I want you to think about. 
this text is pushing us not so much toward like new strategies for your future, but review of your past. Digestion. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your Word. 2015 was different than we thought it would be. And all our months and years will be different than we anticipate them being. And we change. And our words change. And our circumstances change. You don't change. You are the great, powerful perfect, 
amazing God you've always been and you always will be. And your word is too. And so we pray that you would open our hearts to you and your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, something that we talk about from time to time is we try to be, try to be kind of objective about ourselves. You know, try to think of like, how do other people see Americans? Or how do other people see, say, Greenvillians or South Carolinians or whatever? And, you know, all cultures have strengths and weaknesses. Other cultures, when they talk about America, you know, sometimes point out our strengths. We do have strengths. Got a, got a lot of strengths. One weakness that's often pointed out about American culture is our apathy about the elderly. That other cultures, other places, um, typically the older the culture, the more this is true, they, they honor elders, they honor the elderly, they honor those with wisdom and experience, life experience, and, and we don't so much. And that something that's very American, this can be strength or weakness, this can cut both ways, is that we're incredibly future-oriented. Uh, there's a guy that writes for the New York Times, David Brooks, and several years ago he wrote a book. I had to write this down. I can't remember the whole title. And it's just, it's just a book about us. It's a, it's a book about American culture. And the title is, On Paradise Drive, How We Live Now and Always Have in the Future Tense. Um, all, kinds of, all kinds of ways that plays out. Here's a very like everyday, mundane, household way. That, uh, that somebody pointed out to Dana and me. We were talking to a counselor who lives in another city, and she has just done truckloads of marriage counseling. And, and she said, you know, when you think about, hey, in, in, a, in a marriage, what are the big flashpoints? And the famous ones would be stuff like communication or money or kids, whatever. She says, let me tell you one that I talk about all the time. I'm talking with couples about this all the time, and we almost never acknowledge this, is, is the future orientation of wives. Now, husbands have it too, but that wives, especially when they're moms, are constantly having to think about what's next, what's next, what's next. And that can be what's for lunch, what is for supper, to are we okay for school, to how will we pay for college, future, 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 future. And relationships require that you be present. Again, I'm not throwing the wives under the bus, but she just said, you know, that, I talk about that all the time. We hardly ever even acknowledge that that's a reality. Uh, we, we just seem to show up, and, and this is very much fostered as we live where we live, to be oriented toward the future. And we're, we're about to go into a new year. There's nothing magical about going into a new year, but just the way life works is it makes you think about, hopefully... What happened on this one, and what do I hope for next year? What do I, or what do we aspire to next year? And so, I just want to take the main verbs of Deuteronomy 8 and think about this, forgetting and remembering. And I know the sermon title is ridiculous, okay? The sermon title is Forgetting to Remember, and that's like Department of Redundancy Department. It's ridiculous. But... We do forget to remember. And that's the very thing that Deuteronomy 8 is warning the Israelites about. You're about to get out of this awful wilderness. And it, I mean, think about this. If, if someone said, hey, I will give you an unlimited budget for equipment and clothing, gear, and I want you to live with your, you know, if you're a parent, 
but let's, let's say, if you're not, let's say you've got young children. I want you to live with you and your young children in the wilderness for a year. Un- unlimited budget, but you must take your one-year-old. That was their life for 40 years. And they even alluded in the passage about, you know, it's not just, when you, when you hear wilderness, don't think like, you know, Pisgah. I mean, he talks about this place with scorpions and fiery serpents. I don't know what a fiery serpent is. I don't want to know what a fiery serpent is. But that's where their whole family is for 40 years. So you're about to get out of here. Whew, cross the Jordan River. Go in and inherit this land. You're going to, some of you are going to move into houses that are already built. You're going to occupy orchards that you did not plant. They're already bearing fruit. What must you not forget and what must you remember? All right, let's look at the forgetting first. And let's break it down this way. When you forget something, you forget a noun. You know, you forget a person, place, or thing, to put it in schoolhouse rock categories. There's an object of forgetting. So what's the object of forgetting? What's the path to it? And then what are the results? Now, first the object. And here's the thing. This is the Old Testament. This is Moses talking. I mean, this is just such an Old Testament passage. There's wilderness, there's scorpions, there's commandments. You would think that Moses would be saying to the people, now look, listen, when you go into the promised land, do not forget to obey. That that would be the main thing. Don't forget to obey. And is that what he says? And let me be a little bit teachy here. Hebrew scholars, as they look at the structure of Deuteronomy 8, just think of it as a unit, will say that there's this very sophisticated linguistic structure to what we call Deuteronomy 8. And it makes it clear that it all works to a point. There's a main point to this section. And the main point's verse 11. What does verse 11 say? Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. You, you are about to get the fulfillment of all you've been hoping for. This has been what you've been anticipating and waiting for. The big point is not, don't you forget to be good. Don't you forget to obey God. The main point is, don't forget Him. It says it three times in this chapter. Do not forget the Lord your God. He's the object. What's the path to forgetting? And this is described really uh, very accurately. Look, look, start in verse, the next verse, verse 12. When you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And what's he saying? When you go into your inheritance, it's going to be great. And I mean, okay, let's go back to the the experimental. Hey, we're going to buy you whatever gear you want, whatever stuff you want, and you live in the wilderness with your little babies. Are you okay with that? Well, they didn't have the greatest gear. God said, I made your okay gear work for 40 years. 
your feet didn't wear out, your sandals didn't wear out, your stuff didn't wear out. That was supernatural. But can you, I mean, we can't, but can you try to imagine what it would be like to be a mom who has lived in the wilderness and you come into an area and you conquer it and you move into a house that already has like stuff hanging in it? Like it already has bowls and pots and utensils, uh, a place to make a fire and cook. There's, there's shelter rooms for you and your children. Can you imagine stepping into that after living in the wilderness? I mean, people must have broken down and wept. Men who've wanted land, wanted to work the land, and I'm sure women who wanted to work the land, finally having like functioning orchards waiting on them, this is yours. And what does God say? God said, I mean, God says, I love you. And part of not loving you is that I know you. And when, when you do that, when you have that ecstatic moment and then you live there and you stay there, I know what's going to come natural. And he, here's what it sounds like. Look at verse 17. Beware, after all that happens, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Wow, this is great. Where did it come from? Because I work hard. Um, Fifty years ago, it was the 100th anniversary of the end of the Civil War, and there was a movie that came out. Jimmy Stewart played the main character. You probably all saw him this week. It's a Wonderful Life. But uh, it's a movie called Shenandoah, set in Virginia. And um, he's a man of the soil, hard guy. He's a widower, lost his wife. And there's this famous scene in Shenandoah where he's at the head of a dinner table. There's an empty seat across from him where his wife would have sat. His sons, his daughter, and maybe a daughter-in-law. And Jimmy Stewart's character, his name is Charlie Anderson. He, uh, he says grace. And here's, here's the quote of his prayer. Bows his head. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested We cook the harvest. It wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. Now, almost no one will go that explicit. Out loud. But, you know, what comes naturally to Israelites and what comes naturally to Greenvillians is that either when someone comments to us, wow, look, look, at, look at this. Look at what you've had. Look at what you have. Look at what you've done. We probably are savvy enough not to just totally, you know, toot our own horn. But what we, what we really feel like in our hearts is, well, you know, I've always been a hard worker. And you know, by 6.30, my inbox is at zero, and I've already exercised, and I'm eating a non-processed breakfast, high in omega-3s, unlike you peons. That that just comes naturally to us that, to, to think, wow, why, what, why do I have this money? Why do I have this home? How did I accomplish this? I mean, that this could be a salary threshold. It could be a marathon time. How, how did that happen? It, it found its origin in me. 
And God says to the Israelites and God says to us, you are experiencing it. And your work is involved. Your work is important. It did not find its origin in you. Its origin is in me. And here's the thing. When you believe that its origin is in you, when you forget the Lord your God, what's the result? And it's at least a couple of things. Idolatry and independence. Idolatry. I mean, if, if human beings are made to worship the one true God and you forget the one true God, but your heart is made to worship someone or something, what are you going to do? You're going to worship someone else or something else. What does he say in verse, what, 19? If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. I mean, you think, I mean, that, that's how it works in a relationship. That's how it works in a romance. That's how it works in a marriage. If I forget my significant other, what does that open me up to? Everyone else. Because I forgot you. So I'm going to aim somewhere else. Uh, what does the independence look like? Independence is a pretty mild term. That's kind of a positive term as Americans, but what does it look like? Verse 11. Central verse. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. And words like keep and obey and live by are all through this passage and they're all through Deuteronomy. If you, if you forget God, what's it easy, easy to do? Ignore what He says and for us to do what we want to. And I'm just telling you, it would have been unimaginable when they actually crossed the Jordan River that day. That's in the next book, Joshua. When they crossed the Jordan River and they start stepping into the Promised Land, it would have been unimaginable that they would ever worship other gods. And guess what? They went right in, and they didn't just worship other gods... They sacrificed their children to them. Why? Is it because those nasty, yucky Israelites are so wretched? No, it's because they're like us. They just wander right off. And God, in His love, is saying, first and foremost, don't forget me when you go in there. Do you realize what God is showing us? When we think about a test from God, like God putting you through a test, we tend to think in terms of pain, confusion. We talked about that last week, pain and confusion, being thrown off kilter, and that's true. And that was very much their wilderness experience. But what is God showing us? Yeah, pain is a test. Scarcity is a test. We don't have enough money. Your real self will come out. But God is saying, guess what else is a test? Affluence. Let that wash over you. Affluence is a test. When your money multiplies, when your home is comfortable, when you move toward better health, when your 
better connected socially. That is a test. And God in His love is saying, do not forget me. Because that's when you'll be prone to do it. I've had conversations with you, and when I've had these conversations, I've tried to quickly say, and I have done it myself more times than I can remember, is when did I wander off from God? It's actually when things were going, as far as circumstances, fairly well. And the irony is, is that we'll talk about, we look back on hard times of our life, I was hurting, I was sad, I was depressed, I had chronic pain, this relationship was bad, and say, wow, I don't ever want to go through that. But the weird thing is, it was a sweet time with the Lord. And we so want it to work another way. God says, affluence is a test. Do not forget me. Well, don't forget to do what? Remember. You know, if, if, uh, if the answer to, why is my life the way it is, if my life has some good things about it, if the answer is not, well, because I'm a hard worker and I get up early and I'm, I've always been goal-oriented. What is the answer? What are we supposed to remember? Verse 18. You shall remember, again, it's not, you must remember to obey. We do need to remember that, but here's the great exhortation. You shall remember the Lord your God, and get this, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. That's amazing. That it says, you must remember the Lord your God, in your affluence because the power to get wealth comes from Him. And it's, it's actually pretty great to hear the Bible saying that. The Bible does not glorify poverty. It very much acknowledges the hardship of poverty. And you know, some of you, some, some of our church members work directly, this is not the only way you get wealth, but some, some work directly in the financial industry. You handle other people's savings or investments. We have church members who go out and try to gain uh, capital from investors so that this entrepreneur, this, this startup, can have the capital to do things it wants to do and not only build wealth for them, but build wealth for them and maybe build wealth for employees in that company. That's an amazing endeavor. That is kingdom work. And I'd say this too. People that work the most with impoverished areas... I don't mean like come in for a short-term missions project, but really have skin in the game. Over and over and over, the people with expertise will tell you, you don't turn around an impoverished community just through service projects or outside groups. Wealth creation transforms low-income areas. That that's a great thing, and it's God who gives the power to do that. What does it look like to remember God? Does that just mean, oh yeah, God? What, what does it look like to... Rem- what are we supposed to remember about God? Think about this. When people talk about um, a coach who impacted them, or a great boss who impacted them, or a teacher with impact, it could even be a military leader with impact, what are the common themes that you always hear? 
over and over and over, you hear these two things. It could be a teacher, it could be a drill sergeant. Number one, they stretched me till it hurt. And number two, I always knew he or she was for me and wanted the absolute best for me. Has to be both. They stretched me to the point of pain. And I knew they always wanted the best for me. Look back at the passage as we think about remembering God. They stretched me to the point of pain. Verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Oh man, we wish that would go away. God, I want you to love me. I do love you. I do love you. I want you to love me by always making me feel better. No. I love you. So I'm, I'm going to orchestrate things for you in your life that you would never write for yourself because I want you to be beautiful. And comfort won't produce it. Old and New Testament, the Lord disciplines you. If He does not discipline you, you not, are not His child. It says in the King James, if you do not experience the Lord's discipline, you are a bastard child. Verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Was the wilderness fun? No. Was the wilderness a great fun memory for the people of God? No. Was that plan A? Yes. He always wanted the best for me. Look in verses 7 and 9. Or 739. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. That phrase is used ten times in Deuteronomy. A good land. A land of brooks of water, fountains, springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates. They must have been salivating when Moses said this. If you've eaten manna for 40 years and he's talking about pomegranates and figs and honey and water all over the place, I mean, they must have been salivating. Olive trees, honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. You'll lack nothing. You can mine precious metals out of there. Wow. It's clear from that description that God hates them. I mean, just, you're not just going to have bread. You're not just going to have enough bread. You're going to have bread without scarcity. You'll be given out bread. You've got so much bread. Honey, olives, pomegranates, orchards, houses you didn't build. He talks about cities you didn't build. He wants the best for them. Put them through pain, wants the best for them. Um, One huge liability when we don't stop and remember who God is and remember what He's done in our lives is we can't hang on to those two realities. So we have warped views of God. We have to stop and remember, and take stock, and think back to see, just even in, I'm not, not even talking about biblical history, in our own history, you could even say in our own 2015, to look and say, wow, God took me through things I did not like. God let me hurt when I wanted to feel good. And He clearly 
wants the best for me. Every good thing, every good friendship, every good moment, every morsel of laughter was from him. And here's the thing. You may be hearing this and you might be thinking, well, you know what, but I'm in a trial right now and um, happy memories from 2015 just aren't enough. You know, the fact that God invented dogs and coffee uh, and sugar is not enough. And I, I get that. Um, what, is, what is just the money in the bank to know God wants the best for me? And you know, when, I, when I looked at Deuteronomy, just kind of big picture, the verb remember is all through Deuteronomy. The main thing that God's people are told to remember, besides just remember the Lord your God, is remember him that he brought you out of slavery. You would still be getting crushed in Egypt. Physically, emotionally, culturally, if I had not loved you and rescued you, that was the great act of deliverance for the Israelites to remember. Remember, he rescued you and saved you. What is our exodus? And you know, we think that we know this. We go massive stretches and don't sit and marinate in this that we have been rescued. When I say we, I mean God's people in the New Covenant. Jesus once quoted Deuteronomy 8. Did you know that in the Gospels? Man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And you know where he quoted that? In the wilderness. And what is he doing? He just started his public ministry. He starts his public ministry by going toe-to-toe with the devil. And boy, that sets the DNA. Why is he on earth going toe-to-toe with the devil? To redeem us when we cannot save ourselves. When evil outside and evil inside would just crush us emotionally and physically and culturally. And he rescues us. We've got to marinate. We have got to marinate in that to remember, man, God takes me through things I don't want to go through because he loves me and I know he loves me because he wants the best for me and I know he wants the best for me because he sent his son to rescue me. How do you put this into practice? I'm going to end with this. Um, I'm going to throw out a revolutionary concept that I want you to buy into, it's okay for your day to have an ending. It's okay for your day to have an ending. And what I mean by that is, I I would say that 2 p.m. and 10 p.m. have never been more similar. I was thinking about at 2 p.m., I've still got work to do, but I'm drowsy. Do you get drowsy about 2 o'clock from lunch? And this may come from eating fried chicken. I understand that, okay? And I know that. But it's 2 p.m., I've still got work to do, I'm drowsy. Emails are coming in, texts are coming in, and there's social media stuff I could dabble in if I want to. Now, then at 10 p.m., 
I still have work that's undone, and I'm drowsy. And emails are coming in, and texts are coming in, and there's like social media stuff I can dabble in. Really, like the only difference is the sky. 2 p.m. and 10 p.m. And did you know that human beings are not supposed to live like this? That it's okay for the day to have an ending, and Christians from the earliest church fathers, when I say church fathers, I mean Christians who wrote stuff we still have from the 200s. From church fathers to devout Roman Catholics to Puritans, and those are some very different mojos, have said, you know what's a great thing? What's a great discipline? What's a great... uh, Presbyterians don't use this word very often, but ritual? What's a great ritual to have in your life? is at the end of the day to leave yourself some space to put it down and to remember just that day. I just don't think that we can go out of here and say, okay, I'm going to go on a personal five-day spiritual retreat. I just don't think we're going to do that. And I'm going to take stock of my life. If you can do that one day, great. But could we start with ending our day? and leaving some space to just for a few minutes to remember, how did he show that he was with me? How how was it obvious that the gospel is true? What were moments in the day when I acted like the gospel was not true, and then what happened? But even though I forgot that, he hasn't forgotten me, and he loves me, And if I'm in Christ, I don't have to face the end of Deuteronomy 8. I'm not going to perish. He perished for me, and I have eternal life. And he loves me. And go to bed. What if I'm not good at remembering? Then welcome to a gymnasium where... Every week we do this thing where Jesus didn't say, take and eat and then formulate your spiritual goals. He says, take, eat, do this, what? In remembrance of me. Here's where you work the remembering muscle. Remember the Lord your God. Don't forget him. Amen. Let's pray. Help us, Holy Spirit, not to do what comes naturally. Would you give us remembering? Would you give us repentance for our forgetting? Would you help us to help each other remember that you are love, you are our rescuing God, you are a sovereign God who can take us through tests and trials, You want the best for us. Our promised land awaits. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We have the opportunity uh, at the end of a year and going into a new year to confess what we believe if you would stand. And I would invite you to profess the historic Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I'll ask the question and invite you to respond in turn. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. 